Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, in part 4 of a sermon series called Together, with this message from February 2nd titled Living Hope. In order to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, you and I need to foster specific characteristics in our lives. Paul calls us to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, as well as love. And as we exhibit these qualities, a natural outflow will be unity, oneness, and togetherness. But Paul doesn't end his instructions there. He continued by outlining seven, seven, seven spiritual realities, which knit our hearts together in unity. And I want you to listen as I read verses four to six from Ephesians four, after telling us to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, Paul writes, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all in all and living through all. Previously, we examined together the reality that we are one body. Jesus Christ is ahead and therefore has preeminence and we are members of his body, each with a specific function to fulfill. When we understand our role in the body of Christ and joyfully and obediently carry it out, it contributes to the overall unity of the church. We also discussed together the reality that there is one spirit here. Paul is referencing the Holy spirit, the third person of the Trinity in the final days before his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus promised his disciples that he would send the Holy spirit who would be with them forever. The spirit of God would teach guide and power and transform them. The moment you and I received Jesus as our savior, God sent his spirit, the Holy spirit to take residence in our life. And as he did for the early disciples, he will do for us teach guide, empower and transform. When we yield to the spirit of God, unity is maintained in the body of Christ. This morning, I would have us consider together the third spiritual reality that knits our hearts together in unity. Paul expressed it in this way, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Paul is telling us that our knits are, our hearts are knit together because of our common hope, hope who among us can live without it. In his book until Christ returns, David Jeremiah referenced an article which appeared in the New York magazine. Major F.J. Harold Kushner, an army medical officer during the Vietnam War, who was held prisoner by the Viet Cong for five and, five and a half years, wrote an article that cited an example about the significance and the importance of hope. He told the New York Magazine about meeting a 24-year-old Marine who had already survived two years of prison camp. The Marine appeared to be in relatively good health and appeared to be doing fine. When Kushner asked him how he happened to be doing so well, the young man explained that the camp commander had promised him an early release if he cooperated in every respect. Because the Marine had seen other prisoners granted such a gift, he agreed. He became a model prisoner and served as head of the camp's thought reform group, 
which tried to brainwash other prisoners. As time passed, however, it became clear to the Marine that he had been lied to. When this realization finally hit home, the young man became a zombie. He refused all work and rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb until a few days later, he died. When his hope of release vanished, he found he had nothing left to live for. I doubt that our world has ever needed hope more than it does today. As one gazes across the global landscape, there is much uncertainty. Consider the threat of viruses and diseases spreading globally, such as the coronavirus. Nations are in conflict with each other and therefore impose trading sanctions. Terrorist cells have risen up, brutally persecuting and killing innocent people. Disasters such as wildfires, earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, and hurricanes are reported daily. The breakdown in moral standards, a nuclear family, and decline in public and private ethics are clearly evident. Many have lost hope in governments and their fellow men. We live in what many have characterized as a hopeless society. We're losing a grasp on life because we have lost our grip on our hope. What can we trust? On what can we build our hope? The apostle Peter took up his pen 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and set himself to writing something encouraging to the beleaguered Christians of Asia minor. He wrote to them about hope in first Peter chapter one, verses three to nine. We read blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not, do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, in, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those to whom Peter was writing were being abused by overbearing bosses, threatened by unbelieving spouses, and ridiculed by skeptical neighbors and associates on the horizon loomed the possibility of a much more violent form of persecution. It was an anti-Christian society. The believers had come under increased pressure from the Roman government and society because of their faith in Jesus. They had suffered material as well as physical loss due to their stand for Christ. Peter sensed through the discernment of the Holy spirit that these believers were beginning to waver in their faith and that their hope was beginning to fade away. So he restates for them the basis of their hope. The basis of all hope is that God has done something to ensure our salvation. It is the fact that we can know God's forgiveness and fellowship and salvation that gives hope in hard times. Before we delve further into these verses, I need to emphasize what the biblical writers mean when they speak and write about hope. 
The hope of which we read in scripture is not confidence in what this temporary life has to offer. So many individuals today are placing their hope in their bank accounts, their vocations, their investments, their skills, their abilities. These are all temporal and provide no solid footing for our journey through life. Nor is hope uncertain optimism. It's not based upon what we do not know or unknown variables that could in fact change everything at the last minute as in, I hope God really is a good God and that I've done enough to get into heaven when my time comes. While hope in this sense may reflect better the way the word is most commonly used in today's world, that which is subject to guessing to speculation and possible change of rules is no real hope either. And it is not religious, wishful thinking, like someone wishing they would win the lottery. Biblical hope is confident expectation that the promises of God are true and that what he has promised will certainly come to pass. And this full assurance is based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is this one hope that is common to us all. And it is the great hope that surpasses our earthly hope. It is for the fulfillment of this hope that Christ came and that all of scripture looks to. It is a hope laid up for us in heaven. It is a hope of the gospel, the hope that is in Christ Jesus, the hope that is in God. It is a hope of glory, the hope of eternal life, a living hope to which we were born again, the hope in which we were saved. It is a hope that should give be so evident in us that we are asked by others to give a reason why it drives us. Paul in Titus chapter two, verse 13 explains it in this way. The appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. Our Christian hope is a sure and certain return of Christ and all that will take place when he returns the resurrection of our bodies transformed into glorious bodies, the end of all evil and injustice, the dwelling of God with his people, the end of mourning and crying and pain. It is everlasting joy everlasting peace. This is our hope. The hope that unites us, whoever we may be and whatever circumstances we may be in. Our hope is based upon what Jesus Christ did when he arose from the grave. He defeated the greatest enemy that man faces. He by himself gained victory over death and the promises that those, and he promises that those who place their faith in him shall also overcome death. Peter in the passage I read earlier gives a number of promises concerning our living hope. He first of all says that our hope is imperishable. We read in verses three and four again, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you. That is some kind of guarantee, isn't it? But not everyone has it. Have you ever found some food at the back of your fridge that you have forgot about? When you finally did come across it, it was moldy and putrid and it was spoiled. Friends of ours moved from one community to another and the movie company unpacked their freezer, loaded the freezer onto the moving truck and then returned the items back to the freezer. They were to plug the freezer in when they arrived at the destination, but the movers forgot to do so. The freezer along with their other household items remained on the moving truck for quite a while as the house was not quite ready to be moved into. When the house was finally ready for moving, the movers were overcome with a putrid smell when they opened the freezer. All the items had spoiled. 
There was nothing to salvage. And a lot of people are selling their souls for that kind of price, a kind that will perish like forgotten meat. Scripture teaches, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break into steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is so easy to get wrapped up in things that can never truly reward our fondest hopes. But there is a sure and steadfast hope. That is a hope we place in the eternal God through his son, Jesus Christ. Peter says such a hope won't die. It won't decay. It won't deteriorate or be destroyed. That hope is there for you and me in the person of Jesus Christ. And because Christ is eternal, our hope in him is eternal. It is, it is for this reason. There is such a distinctness to the way faithful followers of Jesus respond to life. It is for this reason they can handle the challenges that come their way. They may reel from the trials and the pressures that they experience in life, but down deep inside lies a quiet confidence that this too shall pass. And if it doesn't, it just gets better. Now, some of you may be thinking that's all well and good. I'm glad about the future. That's going to be a wonderful day when I see the Lord and my hope is finally realized and I stand in his presence. But what about today? And what about tomorrow? How am I to deal with everything that comes my way, the pain and the sorrow? Well, the second promise Peter gives answers that question. He says, our hope and our lives are guarded by God almighty. We read in verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Stop and consider what Peter has been saying. First, he said that God has given us a hope that is secure, that is steadfast, and that can never be touched. It's beyond decay and destruction. Nothing can happen to it. And now he goes on to say that God is fully committed to helping us realize that hope. God promises us a secure hope for our personal and eternal walk with him day by day, guaranteeing that he will keep us through the process of experiencing that hope. That word guard that Peter uses in verse five is one of the strongest words in the new Testament. It literally means to be garrisoned about by an enemy. David Jeremiah summarizes Peter's teaching in this way. He writes, here you are with your hope in Christ. You have fixed your eyes on him. You believe he came out of the grave. You trusted him for salvation and you believe that one day you will live for eternity. But all the way along, as you walk with him, he has promised to keep you and to help you every day. It is only as we fix our anchor in eternity that we find stability in the events and experiences we encounter on earth. We will have problems. The road will be rough. However, God holds us in the palm of his hand. God protects us, assuring us that our hope will be realized. Steve Brown in his book, Overcoming Setbacks, references this verse and illustrates it in this way. He said, Anna and I don't really need to lock our doors at night, even though we do. Why? Because we have our German shepherd, Quincy, the wonder dog to protect us. Quincy is bigger than any thief who might be interested in stopping by. However, when we do lock the doors, it's to protect the thieves, not us. Quincy will watch over us, but thieves, well, they'd better not risk messing with Quincy. What's the point? 
Our eternal security depends on the size of our guard. And when that guard is the Lord of the universe, who needs to worry? Our guard is God. He holds us, as I said, in the palm of his hand. No thief could ever prevail against our all-powerful God. Peter continues in this passage with a third promise concerning our hope. The hope we have by faith leads to joy. Peter writes in this, we greatly rejoice. Jesus before his crucifixion told the disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then talking about his crucifixion, he said, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I once read this definition of joy. Joy is a delight that wells up within us when we are in the presence of something or someone we love. You and I have the privilege and opportunity to commune with Jesus each and every day to literally sit in his presence. And we have the promise that we will forever be in his presence. And this truth alone ought to cause our hearts to resonate with joy. And then Peter continues with a fourth promise. He says, our hope will be tested and will be proved sound. In this, you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible is so honest, isn't it? Peter isn't giving us some positive thinking therapy. He isn't saying, get your hope up and everything will be okay. He's not saying, put your trust in God and, and all your problems will go away. No, not at all. Instead, he says, put your hope in the Lord and get ready for some challenges. Trials will come to rock you, but even in that process, God has a purpose. Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish theologian, explained the purpose of problems we face in the midst of our hope in this way. If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world and then had told me he would begin by crippling me in arm or limb or removing me from all usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, how is his wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a dark room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy you would begin by blowing out all the lamps and then throw open the shutters to let in the light of heaven. The problems we face and the difficulties we endure only make us appreciate even more what it is going to be like when we see the Lord. As our lamps are put out, those things that we are tempted to put our trust in, the glory of our wonderful Savior becomes even more precious to us. And so no matter how dark our situation might become, our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ and his power over death. Paul told us that if this is not true, our faith is useless. We're still in sin and we are without hope. Some of you are familiar with the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. 
Johnny is no stranger to tragedy and difficulty. Paralyzed in a diving accident at the age of 17, she has since ministered to millions across the world with a message of hope. During one difficult episode with her paralyzed body, something that would often take place three or four times a month, she said out loud, where do I go to resign from this stupid paralysis? Her office assistant heard her. And as her office assistant was leaving that evening, she poked her head into the door and said to her, I bet you can't wait for the resurrection. And Johnny wrote, my eyes dampened again, but this time they were tears of relief and hope. I squeezed back my tears and dreamed what I've dreamed a thousand times, the promise of the resurrection. A flood of hopeful promises filled my mind. When we see him, we shall be like him. The perishable shall put on the imperishable, the corruptible, that which is incorruptible. That which is sown in weakness will be raised with power. He has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. She went on to say, I opened my eyes and I said out loud with a smile, come quickly, Lord Jesus. A number of years ago, Gloria and Bill Gaither wrote a song which we sometimes sing in worship because he lives. The third stanza reads, and then one day I'll cross a river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds a future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Jesus Christ speaks to all of us today as we seek the hope we need for stable, positive, productive lives. Even in these uncertain times, he reaches out to us and he says, I am the living God. I overcame death. I want to live within you and give you the hope you need to face the challenges of life. This hope of ours is not merely pie in the sky in the great by and by. It isn't merely that if we believe hard enough, things will get better. This is not hope. So hope it's rather no. So hope this is knowing the person who has done what no one else has ever done, who defeated sin, the grave and who gives eternal life to all who place their faith in him. I conclude with these words again by David Jeremiah. By virtue of his resurrection, Jesus whispers to us. If I came out of the grave victorious over death and you put your trust in me, you can have the same victory, not only over death, but in your life day by day. And when we go back to Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six, the apostle Paul would say to us, this is our hope. And this is the hope which knits our hearts together in unity, which binds our hearts together in harmony, in oneness and togetherness. We maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace because of our one hope in Christ. Heavenly father, we thank you for the powerful words of Peter. 
for the reality of our unity as Paul outlines in Ephesians 4. And we thank you, Father, that we have a hope that is anchored in heaven, a hope that is placed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Father, we thank you that even though our, our situations on, on this earth may be difficult and demanding and toilsome and weary, we thank you, Father, for that day when we will stand before you and see you face to face. And we thank you that you give to us a power to walk the path that you have chosen for us to walk on this earth. And so we give you, we give you our devotion our hearts in surrender because we know you have our good in mind. And we thank you for that. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, visit us at tbcswanriver.com. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, we are also available at anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or on your favorite podcast app.